Hi, it's Tuesday night. Let me see if I can do the Parsha Shavua uh, for my good friends who are now in Israel, Alan and Janet. This is uh, for uh, in memory of Janet's father, Janet Abramowitz's father, who, uh, whose yard was last week, Avram Chaim ben Yosef Lev. And I guess all of his, all the Janet side are now all in Israel. All of her children are now in Israel. So the parents and the children are all in Israel. That's uh, <laughs> that itself is an aliyah from the neshama. That's what they write in this farm anyway. And people have that. And uh, he was a very fine person, as as I knew him the few times he was in our shul. And uh, as they say, neshama should have an aliyah. So thank you, Alan and Janet. Um, now, and I regret that I wasn't there on the Israel trip. <laughs> I would have liked to be on the Israel trip, but it wasn't in the cards. Meanwhile, Janet got, got their place now uh, that they're still fixing up over in the uh, fraud area. Uh, recent Olim. Okay, we're looking at Parshish Tetzaveh, which happens to come out, as we all know, as as it does come out, not rarely, on Purim. And so, well, I was just thinking about the Parsha. So what's the connection between Parshish Tetzaveh on the one hand and Purim on the other? And the answer is actually stares you in the face, if you know a little bit of the Gemara, and that is that they say, now here we're going with the Agatha, that what Achishverosh did was, at the party that he threw, that the Jews attended, according to the story, according to the Agatha, and uh, disgraced themselves by attending, apparently, <coughs> that they went to the banquet given by Achishverosh for all the people in Shushan, and um, it says that he showed them... Um, his his uh, splendor and glory, you know what I mean. His splendor and glory. Vesi Kartiferis Gedula. So, so you want to show off? Achashid was a show off. That's what you do if you're a monarch. Uh, after all, the head of the, the, the Prince Charles, King Charles, has now wants to have a fancy schmancy coronation. I don't follow it so well. My British listeners will be angry at me, but a little bit I see, you know, here and there in the in the news. And he would like to have a fancy schmancy business, and why not? The whole magic of a monarchy is in the splendor of the ceremonial. So uh, this is thousands of years ago. So Kalbachomer and Achashverosh wanted to do that, and therefore he put on. We're told in the Gemara the vestments or the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, clothing of the high priest, which is what Parshas Tisav is all about, right? In this Parsha, it says big that uh, it says, God says, I want you to make special vestments for Aaron and the other priests. Uh, it'll be uh, strange, uh, fancy schmancy clothes. Literally, lekavod ulusifaris. Now, what does that mean, lekavod ulusifaris? So the Rambam, in the Guide for the Perplexed, in the third part, undertakes to try to explain many of the teachings of the Bible and the mitzvos many of them, in a rationalistic fashion. And it's very interesting to me, I remember. Uh, it's in chapter 3, I mean, part 3, chapter 45. And you can see that one of the things he tries to explain is the Beis HaMikdash and what it's all about and why you need such a thing and the Mishkan. And, you know, from a Maimonidean point of view, that is to say, from a philosophical point of view, a Beis HaMikdash should be unnecessary. The truly enlightened individual can sit wherever he was in the middle of the woods and contemplate, I'm serious about this, and contemplate on God, if they're intelligent, philosophical, intellectual 
so they will guide their thoughts to focus on the true nature of the divine. For example, you'll get past the material side and the picture side, and you try to understand what God really is, and so on and so forth. And so, Bilvabi Mishkan Evda, in your heart or in your mind, that's where the real Mishkan will be located. And you'll understand, but it takes hard thought. It's not simple, you know, uh, about your relationship with God and the divine and all the rest of it. But most people aren't built that way, and it never will be built that way, okay? That's an elitist phenomenon I just described. And it ain't for the masses, but on the other hand, the Jewish people are the masses. <clears throat> and so, the Rambam suggests, you need a kind of a, a circus, you know, you need a, a a light show. And that's the Mishkan, that's the base of Migdash. So people should come there and see the splendor, and the gold and the silver, and the fancy schmancy. And he goes, I mean, believe me, he says, in those days, he said, he says, and the Mechavir and Livnos Hechel Hamid Tzolmei Makam that the idol worshippers are always proud to build their uh, temples on high mountains, so therefore the Jews do the same thing. And you know the Mishkan a little bit less, and about the uh, uh, about reasons trying to give rational reasons for all the different different details about how the basic Mishkan is built, and among other things, okay. And by the way, the base of Mikdash and the Mishkan is anti-pagan. So in other words, the <coughs> furniture, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, ceremonials, the clothing, and all the rest of it is to, is to be connected what the pagans do, what the Odevarazur do. And so, um, no orgies over here. No wild and crazy stuff. The opposite, sober, uh, Bakovadik, ceremonial, uh, always a very serious. Uh, for example, he says, Talking about the priest's clothes. That there was Baal Peor, which according to the Jewish tradition, the Baal Peor worship of paganism, Moav, used to involve the, the priest stripping down. Uh, and there are other religions like that. And therefore, the Kohanim are uh, enjoined. To do the opposite, to have no part of they have to wear underpants. There, no part of the body should be exposed and things. We are not, you know, pagans in that way. Uh, so all these things are are rational and philosophical, and they make sense. Uh, and uh, part of the uh, light show of the uh, you know the the what should I put the display, you know, the public display is having separate priesthood. With special garments, well, the Hagdil Habayis the Rambam I'm reading, not me. Well, the Hagdil Habayis Od, Hagdil Smiles Avosov, and in order to build up this base of English, the idea according to the Rambam, which is somewhat cynical but makes very good sense from a rationalistic historicist point of view, and that is, and here's the point: understand well, the base of Migdash was constructed in the context of business competition. Okay. The base of Migdash was not constructed and did not exist at a time when, you know, there were a few people in the world and there were no religions whatsoever, and here's a way of approaching God. Had that been the case, you wouldn't need a base of Migdash. Then you could educate people, perhaps, to do it on their own, the Rambam would say. However, at the time the base of, the Mishkan was built and the base of Migdash subsequently was built, is a competition. The whole world was into Avodah Zarah, the whole world was chock full of temples and similar holy sites. The whole world followed these things and ascribed 
sanctity and, and, and respect to those rituals. And so if you're building a mishkan, a base of mish, it has to be so constructed that uh, it can compete for public interest and attention with the best stuff that the uh, idol idol worshippers who, who who enjoyed splendid state resources were able to put together. And so he says, Lahagdil habayis od higdil milas ovdov. To build up the base of Migdash, you have to have a special staff and build them up. Vinivdlu akohanim alavim. Therefore, they were separated out from the people, the Kohanim Levim, and only they can do it. A very important part of being a priest is the right clothing. That's what we have in Parshas Tetzaveh. They go into great detail about the clothing of Kohen Gadol, the Choshan, the, 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 the diamonds, the stones on the breastplate, and all the rest of it. You know, I mean, you know that. Okay, I'm not speaking to people that know what I'm talking about. So, uh, and it says, And you can't have anyone who's a Balmum, because so, it wouldn't look good for the public. Now, today we have a different sensibility. We say, how can you discriminate someone simply because he has a challenge? And and, and I get that. I, mean, I have a child like that. You know, I get it. But on the other hand, uh, they didn't get it then. They would say, why is someone with a challenge serving in this? That would seem to be to them uh, a disgrace. And therefore, the Torah goes along with the popular mood at that time, the Ramam suggests. And even someone who's ugly, they talk about certain facial uh, uh, features that can make it that a Kohen can't uh, do the Avod if he has those facial features. Even though, again, today, we right now, we put the emphasis on the opposite, of inclusion and helping people even though they're not necessarily in the best shape. And the Rambam explains why in a very interesting and fascinating observation. Because the masses are asses. The public does not judge people by who they are in their real tour, in, in, in their in, inside, in their character. The public, notice the masses, judge you by whether you're good looking and whether you dress well. <laughs> That's what he says. Okay, the public judges you, which is why ordinarily you dress up when you go to a business engagement or to a meeting. That's why we talk about dressing bakovadik and so forth. And even in the regular world, you know, there's certain when you dress a certain way, you elicit a certain reaction. Okay, and the base of Migdash and the Mishkan is aimed at the masses, not for discerning the discerning individual who can see past, you know, the externals, but for the broad public who cannot see past the externals. Therefore, we have to make the externals impressive, and that's why we have such a long arichas in our parsha today in Tzava about the exact nature of the vestments and the and the clothing and the coin gold and what they should be, so that he will look. Very impressive, okay, and uh, and when the public, the broad public comes, they will be impressed by what they see, and hopefully that will wean them away from being interested in like paganism, pagan ceremonies, all the rest of it, because the pagan priests have their stuff, but we got some pretty good stuff also. We have the Lucifaris, the Mitznefes, the the Avne. You know, the, when you put it all together and the Kohen Gadol walks around, he looks like something and a half, okay. 
So that seems to be the way that uh, the Rambam, again, it's a rational uh, point of view. Now, mind you, the Rambam does not deny that there may be an inner reason for it, a mystical reason. He does not say that. <clears throat> but he is pointing out something which is true, which is the vast majority of the public isn't like that. vast majority of the public, the Olam is a Geilam. And when they see something, they're either impressed or not impressed. And, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world for a person to dress up fancy and talk glibly and win over somebody uh, to their detriment. Just for the heck of it, I pulled out my rusty, trusty um, um, old copy of the Morn of Uchem with the uh, Mikras Gadolas at the bottom, as I call it. This is the third part of the uh, Guide for the Perplexed. And it happened to be, and, and this is all located, as they say, in 345, in part 3, chapter 45. And I see that they have the Shem Tov and the Ephodi, especially the Shem Tov, who I mentioned the other day in the uh, 15th century in Spain, who was uh, pro-Maimonidean, unlike his grandfather, wrote a whole attack on Maimonides. And it's just very interesting that, you know, uh, the Rambam, of course, here is speaking from a very elitist point of view. Look, the guy was a genius. He knew more than everybody else put together. Therefore, you're going to look at the Hamonam in a certain way. This is understandable. And the Shem Tov, the commentary, was also like that. And he says that people do, you're not judged. The, the public is going on the Rambam's words. The public does not judge you on who you're Tzurosu in your Emesdik Tzura. What does it mean, Atsura? Because this is old-fashioned medieval talk of the distinction between Tzura and Chomer, between form and matter, which is a whole philosophical discussion. But skipping all that, Tzurosu Hamitis who Nefesh HaSichlis, okay? Uh, through your Nefesh HaSichlis, as we would say today, you look, does the person have a beautiful mind? That would be the expression we use today. So somebody could be perhaps not particularly handsome, male or female, could be not particularly handsome, but discerning people would could possibly be blown away by the quality of their mind and their thinking. We all know people like that, okay? They're not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, the teen heartthrobs, but people know, wow, this person has really, uh, you know, discovered a cure for cancer or something like whatever it is, you know, it's, it's really impressive, their their achievements. But most people don't go by that. They judge you by by your good looks and your uh, good clothes. Um, <laughs> I got to tell you this. Years ago, I can't remember how long ago. Years ago, I was at Rabbi Neuberger's office for something in there Israel. I'm talking about it, Rabbi Herman Neuberger. I'm not talking Neuberger. And at that time, the different politicians, it must have been at primary time, so the different politicians who were running for mayor uh, <laughs> came in to uh, introduce themselves to Rabbi Neuberger to hopefully solicit his support in the primaries so that he would advise people to vote for them and pick up votes. That's what politicians do. You go to, now the term they like to use is influencers. You know, so he was an influencer before the internet. And <clears throat> at least he was perceived that way. Let's put it that way. Perception is, is, is what power is all about and, and this kind of thing. And I remember there's a certain individual, I won't say who. By the way, by the time I'm talking about all the people running for mayor, yeah, I remember it was mayor, we're all African-American. That's the way Baltimore politics swung. And so it was this guy versus that guy versus that guy and so forth. And one guy came in and uh, he went to see him. And I walked out as, as the guy was coming in. And I know him, a little, I know the politician a little bit. And I remember he had a fundraiser uh, 
a week before it was in the news. And at that fundraiser, he raised 15K uh, for his campaign. But then what did the guy do? Went to New York. Listen, listen to this. <laughs> and he bought a suit for 15K. <laughs> he bought a suit for $15,000. Uh, and I want to tell you something. When he came to the office, he looked good. <laughs> he was really good looking. Because, listen, money, you know, he got value for money. Although, I don't know how you come up with $15,000 for a suit. But he looked really good. Uh, and uh, that's how people judge you. I'm sure he got votes from people who said, like, he looks good. You see? Other than Tsuroso Hasiklis, what's his intellectual capacity? What are his visions for the for the voters? You know, how does he uh, hope to transcend problems? No, he looks good. So... Our Parsha is about the Kohen Gadol looking good. Uh, that for the masses, they think the highest Shlemus is to look good, to have good clothes. So that they will look the opposite of a Behem. Behem walks out without clothes, a person walks out with clothes. And the general idea of the Rambam, I'm quoting from the Shem Tov commentary here, right? Shem Tov and Shem Tov. I should say Shem Tov and Shem Tov the second. Hamachuvin, uh, what the Rambam means, Shatila, Bayes, Gedul of a Tiferet, Eitzel Hakol, Ubefrat Eitzel Hahamon, Shehem Hakol, Bavorm Nasa Hakol. And the general idea is to impress the, the, the masses, because the whole thing was designed for them. Uh, which is a very interesting way of looking at it. That the base of Migish was designed, the, the 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 priesthood and everything was designed, the ceremony was designed uh, for the Hamunam, uh, for the masses. Um, this rises and falls at different times of history. Today, big fancy schmancy shoals are generally not, as far as I can tell, are not thriving. And the smaller, more intimate shoals with less... Uh, you know, Splendor and Fancy Schmancy are doing better. Um, that's what I think I've seen a lot of places. There are certainly large synagogues that are thriving, but there's a lot of cases where they don't, and they give way to smaller types of ministries. Don't you think that's the case? And um, because people are looking for something more than just the externals, okay? Something more than the, ex- than the externals. But that's a function, perhaps, of the fact that nowadays the Hamun Am generally has a day school education. They have more of a Jewish education than was the case once upon a time. <coughs> um, it's a very interesting concept. Now, Achashverosh, we're told in the Agatha and the Gemara Megillah, uh, when he threw the party, so he put on the big day kahuna. Um, it's not clear. Some say he just displayed them. Other, others, But the Gemara says he put them on. And um, is this very interesting because Let's put it this way. It could be read, Lishvach or Leganai. His intention of donning the vestments of the high priest could, could have been positive, could have been negative. The plain shot is they were negative. He was making fun of the Jews. Um, the Gemara says he counted 70 years are up. The prophecy was supposed to be that the Babylonian exile will last for 70 years. It had not happened. Therefore, it turned out to be a false prophecy. The Jews ain't never going back. They're here in Bavel and the Persian Empire. The heck with them. And to show publicly that their hopes are dashed. 
and that their 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 um, kalim and all the rest will never again be used ever. He himself wore the clothes of the Kohen Gadol at this party, which of course makes the Jews who attended that party um, radically lacking in self-respect. You know what I mean? In other words, they went to the party, you know, uh, perhaps perhaps unwillingly, um, but the main, but they stayed. And they drank. So basically, as we say today, they had a good time. How can you have a good time when the whole point of the party, or I should be more accurate, one of the points of the party is to boast about the fact that he doesn't have to worry about the Jews anymore ever making a comeback. You guys are here in exile forever. And I can wear the clothes of the high priest. Anybody can. Because they don't mean anything anymore. There's never going to be another high priest. There never will be another base of English, and it won't happen again. Achashesh, in other words, was one of the guys, if you do your uh, counting in the book of Ezra, one of the kings of Persia who prevented the building of the second temple. There was a hiatus of 18 years when the temple was not allowed to be built, and he was the king during 14 of those 18 years. I repeat, during 14 of those 18 years. So he was a major culprit in the Jews not being able to return to Israel fully and rebuild the base of Migdash in Jerusalem, uh, and, the, and the wearing of the of, of the uh, priestly vestments was a basic mockery of Parshish Tetzaveh. That's what I mean. You understand? In other words, once upon a time, Hashem said, Build Osili Migdash, Shechanti Besocham, I will dwell in there, the Shechin will be here, the Mishkan will be a sign of that, and part of it is, uh, you know, Big Dekosh La'aron HaKohen, Olavon Achrov. And all that's over. It's not going to happen again. Uh, it will never happen again. Um, which is just kind of interesting. I'll tell you what I mean. It's it's always been... Uh, it's hard to think like someone else does. Not yourself. Uh, let's say you're Orthodox in one way or another. For 2,000 years now, you've at least lived with the hope that one day the basement should be rebuilt. Maybe not in my time. Maybe in this circumstance or that circumstance. I don't know. But it'll happen. So in other words, we ain't out yet. Okay? Uh, the best is yet to come. The only question is, are we going to live to see it? We'll be here. We'll be there. We'll be under this circumstance or that one. Um, but what if you're not orthodox? Let's say, for example, you're reform. To take one example. It's not only. Especially the original reform in the 19th century. So they were, as you know, opposed to the idea of Tzion. Uh, the whole idea of return. It's a little bit strange. So in other words, you view the Jewish desti- destiny as always to be in Chutzlars and always to be in exile, which is why they don't want to call it exile. Our permanent situation from now on is to be a ghost people to have no land or anything like that, and to have no prospects of that. Because remember, they did not believe and do not believe in a messianic idea per se. Um, this is just interesting. I mean, it's, what I mean is it's hard for me to imagine how you view the Jewish people going on and on into the future as just some people in exile forever. Not even trying, not even wanting to change that. Um Obviously, I'm wrong, because there were plenty of Reformed Jews, especially in Germany, a place like that, that they thought this is the way to go, and they're perfectly happy with that, and they, and they figured 
they'll be in Germany forever or America forever or wherever. Now, I realize events didn't turn out that way, but I'm just saying the mentality that they have. What is a regular secular Jew today who's not interested in Zionism or Israel or anything like this? What is a regular secular Jew who doesn't think like the Abramowitzes, for example? You know, um, they see themselves as living in America forever. I mean, forever, Ladori Doris. Which, if you think about it realistically, and I mean this in a realistic, not in an attacking way, they've basically made peace with the fact that sooner or later they'll disappear as Jews. And that sooner or later the Jewish people themselves will disappear. Not in my time, maybe my children's time, my grandchildren, whatever. Because sooner or later, it can't go on like this forever. Uh, and therefore, their their whole Judaism is sort of like one waiting for euthanasia. It's just, it is very interesting, you know? Uh, as opposed, I said, now, by the way, yeah, by the way, the the, uh, the secular Zionists and others were the ones who just didn't feel right with that. That's where Rav Cook used to like them. At least they feel bad about the idea that it would go on like this and go forever and ever and ever. You know? Maybe they didn't believe exactly in God and Mashiach, all the rest of it, but they want a better future for the Jewish people. Uh, Akashverosh in this story was basically asserting that, you know, it's never going to be another base of Mikdash. Uh, the Jews who attended that party should have been profoundly uh, depressed by this. So let's put it this way. It's like going to a Christmas party. You got to go in because your firm or your uh, you know business uh, has your employers throwing it. All right, you got to go. You got to go. But I mean, you don't you don't have a great time. You know what I mean? In other words, it's something to endure. You know what I mean? That's that's the right way. It's something you got to do. You know you don't want to uh, get fired or anything like that. Uh, you know you want to keep good relations with everybody, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, you want to show basic respect for others. But it's not something that a, that a regular Jew can feel comfortable at. Okay? And in the discomfort lies your Yiddishkeit. Even me, myself, and I, once in a while, I've been at, uh, had to go to faculty things where, uh, and I went. And, uh, matter of fact, the problem I had once was they had a, a quote unquote kosher cater. It wasn't really kosher. You know, not, not really. Um, that's a story by itself. But I'm just saying. Okay, so you go, you do what your department requires, and then you leave, and you're on good terms with everybody. And I think I think the people who who do this know what I'm talking about. You learn how to walk around for three hours with a coke in your <laughs> with with an undrunk bottle of coke, a glass of coke in your hand, you know, uh, and making conversation, all the rest of it, and trying to be. So that's what they should have done. If if the king says, "I want you to come to the party." And the king says, La on each beach. I want Haman, I want Achashverosh to round everybody up. And you're afraid that you get the king angry at you. Okay, so you do what you got to do. You know, you, you go. But you don't drink. Uh, you don't have a great time. You smile. You shoot the ball. You praise the king. You say, you know, this palace is fantastic. You're a wonderful king. This party is amazing. And so forth. And then you get the heck out of there. But that's not what happened. It says, They had a great time at the party. They had Hanoah. Okay? Because Hashtos, everything was great. Uh, it looked like, you know, <laughs> to tell you the truth, it looked like Liberace, you know, uh, 
Vikalium, Vikalium, Shonim, the, what do you say? Mitoza, Hava, Kesev. The Gemara says, the beds were ma- where you sit in were made out of gold. The uh, the uh, legs were made out of silver. Looks like certain <laughs> certain types of places over there. But okay, you know, that's that's the way the king wanted it. Uh, why why you sit down and, and having a good time? And if you tell me the food is kosher, what are you eating and having a good time and such? Is it all about food? Is it all about gashmias? Notice, have you no respect for yourself as a Jew? Are you not bothered by the fact that the guy's wearing the, the, the clothes of the high priest and he's making fun of you? Now, I do want to say, as is always the case with these kind of issues, there are different schools of thought. And I saw in the Maharal, he has a book on Purim called Or Chodosh. So I was just wondering... And he says something that I do not understand exactly, except that I get the general, because he writes in a funny way, but I do get the general uh, gist of it, which is that he says that the king, if I if I understand him correctly, he says that the uh, king was, uh, um, let's put it this way, uh, wearing these clothes as some kind of gesture of respect. Not respect of the J- Judaism, uh, necessarily, but, but uh, he admired, if I understand this correctly, the king seems to have admired um, the tzniyas of the clothes. And the Gemara and Brachas, in other words, the rabbis in the Talmud used to say that the Persians, the Iranians, they have some bad traits and they have good traits, which is true of all groups, right? Don't you agree, don't you agree with the statement I just made? All ethnicities, nationalities, all the rest of it have a good side to them and a bad side to them. And uh, one of the things that the uh, Chazal uh, liked about the Iranian culture was its sneers. The Zena run around with immodest clothing and things like that, quite the opposite. Roshun Gamliel says in the Gemara Brachas, Gimel Dvarma ni Ohivis Aparsim, I like three things about the Iranians, Tsunuin Bachilosan, Tsunuin Bebeis Akise, Tsunuin Bedovarachir, that they are sneistic, okay? They're modest. Um, in terms of how they go to the bathroom, so they don't just stand there like in some countries and do in the middle of the street, and uh, in, the, in how they eat, uh, you know, you, you different ways of eating, and um, and in areas of morality and immorality, okay, that they're more on the modest side, and that being the case, uh, so. They would, it would be, he would see it fitting to him as a Persian king to don the clothing of the Kohen Gadol because the Kohen, the, the clothing Kohen Gadol covered him from top to bottom and therefore would be an expression of Tzniyas. I find that a little hard to believe, but then again, I'm not a morale person. I don't understand exactly what he says, but he's trying to put a positive spin on it. Either way, you see that the Goyim, uh, according to this, understood that the Indian, the base of Mish, and the Big Day Kahuna are uh, something impressive. And indeed, I think you may know this, uh, the Christian Church, the Catholic Church particularly, but not only, uh, follows in their way, with their modifications, of course, this whole concept of everything I just said. Uh, the Pope, the bishops, and all the others wear something along the lines of what they would regard as the priestly vestments, uh, no, not by uh, from standards, but I'm talking about by theirs. And the reason they do this is because they say, you know, the cover is it's proper. So what you see over here 
is that um, a religion must have some kind of chitzonius if it's to have a mass appeal. Now, if you have a small appeal, you can do whatever you want. Okay? Uh, you can be very simplistic and uh, pursue simplicity and have your own little minion somewhere and, uh, you know, abjure uh, any kind of uh, formality, all the rest of it. That's good for small groups. But if you're talking about a nation and the Torah is designed for a Jewish nation, you have to think in large scale and then you need a certain element of formality. And uh, just think about that. We talk about the Torah being a migdish ma'at. I mean, the base of Knesset being a migdish ma'at, a small uh, base of migdash. But today, the style, myself included, you know, is not to pursue uh, fancy rabbinical clothes and, uh, you know, clergy uh, things, although in England they do, I think, uh, but look silly to other people because we don't have this sensibility nowadays. Uh, when the basic Midrash comes back, then uh, people are going to have to change their, their views and notions of uh, what is appropriate and what is less appropriate in um, clergy garments, priestly garments, whatever it's going to be. But do notice, and with this I conclude because I'm going too long. I'm going to call your attention to something and you'll look it up yourself and see it. The Megillah is replete with references to clothing. The king puts on the big day kahuna. Later on, uh, Queen Esther wears malchus, fancy clothes. Um, Mordechai puts on sackcloth. The queen then tells him put on good clothes. Later on, Haman puts the royal clothes on Mordechai. So now the situation is flipped. Instead of the guy wearing the Jewish clothes of the big day coin all, now conditions... Now, the Rebbe has a sense of humor, and now things are flipped. The king says, I want Mordechai to wear my clothes. And the truth of the matter is, at the end of the story, Mordechai makes a second parade with those clothes. Mordechai yotz lefnei ha-melech, belvush malchus t'cheles v'chorvat terzov v'gedolah. And so, uh, the, 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 the notion of clothing and appropriate clothing really is like a... Uh, it's a good Dvarto for those of you who want to be creative on this poem. Uh, so if I gave you your assignment, and uh, since I've gone a bit too long, once again, I want to thank uh, the Abramists, especially wish um, the Neshama of Janet's father, Dr. Arnold, should have a, an alias on Neshama, and uh, I'm sure he's deriving um, satisfaction from the, f- from the fact that uh, this branch of his progeny are all located within the Holy Land. They've settled there uh, permanently, uh, while the rest of us are out there in Gullis.